We're in the book of 1 John, and we are in a series, as you see there in your worship guide, called Rest Assured. And uh, if you were here last week, we began to talk about what it means to be certain of your salvation. Uh, that is the theme, the primary theme anyway, of the book of 1 John. It's an important topic for believers, or we wouldn't have a whole book where the major theme anyway is this idea of being certain that we know God, certain of our salvation. And if you journey through the book of 1 John, you'll notice that believers, as they read that book, will find assurance that they really know God, that they're really what we call saved, that they've been born from above, born of God. And at the same time, those that profess to know God or profess to be saved, but maybe who do not have an authentic faith, an authentic conversion, may be convicted and convinced of their need to be made new and to be born again into authentic faith in Christ. And so this book kind of helps serve that purpose. And last week, we talked about, as we kicked off this series, how believers are those that have a relationship with Christ through faith. We rest assured in Christ. The Spirit of God, we said last week, opens our spiritual eyes to see and understand who Jesus is as Lord and Savior. We believe, and then the Holy Spirit continues to work in and through believers, giving us assurance and helping us to walk in faith with Jesus. And we continue in this posture of repentance that's turning from sin and faith in Jesus Christ alone for the rest of our lives. We, we assume that posture at a point in time in life, and we continue it for the remainder of our lives. That is what biblical conversion looks like. So we believe that you were saved in a moment in time, but we also believe that you cannot simply confine your salvation to a moment in time. It, it continues throughout the rest of your life. And so we've got hope in a lot more than a moment in time. The fact that Christ is still working in our hearts and in our lives. Now, when you study 1 John, you'll see that John not only talks about this idea of knowing God and how we do that through faith in Christ, he also gives marks throughout this book of what genuine, authentic faith looks like. So the word I'm just giving lip service, saying we know God and we don't, or as Jesus said in Matthew 7, we read this last week, saying unto him, Lord, Lord, like we know him, when in fact, finding out the end, we don't, even though we did things in his name, right? Jesus warned about that. Jesus tells us that it's possible. Take his name on our lips and say we know him and find out in the end that we don't. So we need to know what authentic faith looks like. Well, First John helps us to see that. And many people claim to know God but don't. And many believers struggle with assurance of their salvation when they, when they can have it. But authentic faith in Christ, as the New Testament tells us, time and time again, through Peter says, it's life-changing. Authentic faith in Christ always, 110% of the time, produces life-changing. God has no limits. He makes no mistakes. He never doesn't quite get it right. Some people aren't more saved than others. When we come to faith in Christ, it produces progressive life change. The power of sin is broken in our life in an instance, and then progressively we see that fleshed out in our lives as we grow to become more like Christ. The Apostle Paul agreed with this. He said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation brand new. The old has passed away, right? That's the old life. Behold, the new has come. So old things go away and new things come into our life. The way of the flesh, us being in charge, doing things our way, that way begins to pass away. And the way of Christ, we get filled with the Holy Spirit and His presence in our life. And the character of Christ being produced in our life begins to come into our life. The new has come. And 1 John highlights some of those changes that take place because we're a new creation. Our relationship with sin our relationship with God's word, our relationship with people, 
and in particular believers in Christ, and the whole world system we live in is radically different once we come to know Christ. And today, we're going to see how the believer relates to sin differently. How it is different than how an unbeliever relates to sin. So look with me at 1 John. We're going to pick up in chapter 1 where we left off last week, verse 5. We're going to read down through verse 10. Talk about that for a little bit. Then we're going to go over to chapter 3 here in a little bit. We're going to be doing some hopping around at times in this series. So look with me at 1 John chapter 1 starting in verse 5. Remember, this is a book written by the Apostle John, right? One of the original 12 disciples of the Lord Jesus. And John writes this. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, see he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So let's pause there. So notice here John is talking about, again, talking about the nature of God. You see that? Here's the message we've heard from him proclaiming that God is light. He's making a statement there about the very nature of the one true God. The message of the gospel and the message of Christ reveals things about the nature of God. Namely, Bible scholars will tell you when it says God is light, it's mainly talking about the symbols of it symbolizing truth and purity. Right? God, God is truth. He declares truth. And there's no gray areas with God, right? He, he, he speaks truth. So it's the idea of truth, but also the idea of purity. Just like when we think of when we think of a, a pure light, right? So John says we can't say we have fellowship while with God while we walk in darkness. There's an inconsistency here, he says. If you are in fellowship or a true relationship with God, we said last week that's the word koinonia, and in the Greek it's kind of a difficult word for us to put into our language because it conveys so much. It's an idea of a partnership and a sharing. It, this is not an acquaintance. This is a deep friendship that involves partnership and sharing. He says, if you say you have that with God, that kind of authentic, real relationship with God, while you walk in darkness, yet he is light, something is off. He says, those, it's those that walk in light that have fellowship with one another, and they are a part of the family of God, the church, and the blood of Jesus cleanses those people. So those in the light are those that walk in the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And this leads to living in accord with that truth. That's what John's saying. Those that walk in darkness show that they are still in spiritual death, the darkness of unbelief, and that their lives are characterized by that, which is sin. All through the Bible, you kind of see this idea of what this darkness and what it symbolizes, and unbelief and death, and ultimately a place where sin can Bible scholar Colin Cruz notes it is not enough to claim to know God. That's what God is saying here. People must also live in the light of that truth, putting it into practice and avoiding sin. Now, at the same time, John tells us, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're fools. We all have sin. No one is without sin but Jesus. Even believers still have sin in our lives that we wrestle with. We have a choice. We can confess our sins, John says, and be cleansed and forgiven, or we can deny, deny we have it, and prove God's word is not in us. But the, the 
The gospel has not taken root in our heart. Now, it seems that false teachers that were involved in this, that John is refuting here in 1 John, they had, these false teachers had left the Christian faith, and they were tormenting John's readers with their heresy. And they believed a couple of things, it seems. That first of all, though, that though they, they believed that though they, had, that they, they, they could have fellowship with God apart from Jesus. Right? So we kind of see that manifested throughout the book. There's reminding them over and over again that the true believers that believe Jesus is Messiah, the Son of God, came in the flesh. He, he, these people were departing from that belief and saying that they could know God without relationship with Christ, even if Christ was not the Messiah. And they had left that biblical faith in Jesus behind, no longer believing in him to be the Son of the God, God as well. Now, but they thought, even without that, they had fellowship with God. But their lives showed that they didn't have fellowship with Christ, and they continued to walk in darkness. They were still in their sin, still in spiritual death. And in a minute, we're going to see, he goes on to address a lifestyle of sin and say it shows the true heart of the unbeliever. But these people claim to know God, and at the same time, we're still in sin. Now, at the same time, they seem to think they didn't have any sin at all in their lives. They seem to claim they had achieved a sinless state. You say, well, how in the world could you claim to achieve a sinless state and at the same time be living in like obvious sin? Well, it's very possible that what they had done is played some kind of mental, spiritual gymnastics and thought, well, because we have such fellowship with God, our sin's not really sin anymore. Maybe sort of a dualistic thought of what we do in the body doesn't really matter as long as everything's okay in my heart, right, in my spirit. My spirit has fellowship with God. What I do in the body is not really that valuable. It's not that different than what goes on today in our culture when people claim a faith in God or a faith in Christ or an adherence to a religion, but their lifestyle in no way lines up with the very tenets of that religion. Dualism is still around. People are still trying to separate what they feel in their heart and what they do with their body. The Bible will not allow you and me to make that distinction. Jesus will not allow it. What is in the heart comes out of the mouth and what we do with our bodies and what we do with our eyes and what we do with our hands and how we behave and how we live. But these people seem to somehow think that they were sinless. Now from this passage... And from another one we're going to read here in just a moment, we can discern how true Christians relate to sin. And that's what this is all about. Okay, so here's the first thing. Believers admit our sin. Right? Believers, we own up to our sin. We admit our sin. We confess our sin. We acknowledge our sin. He says in verses 8 through 10, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. Because I'm saying... That, me, that's verse 8, down in verse 6, says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. If we say we don't sin, we call God a liar, is what John says. See, believers own up to our sin. He says, we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Believers know we have sin. First, even to become a Christian, you have to admit that you have sin. Right? You can't get saved found without being lost. You can't get saved without being some kind of struggle. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus saved sinners. Jesus doesn't save self-righteous religious people that don't think they need Jesus. We have to acknowledge our sin. If we're blinded and thinking we don't have sin, therefore don't need a Savior, we can't be saved. We have to be willing to own up to the fact that we're in need of a Savior. You'll never confess and you'll never repent of what 
you don't believe you have. What you don't take responsibility for. While we when we share the gospel with people, whether it's in a pulpit or whether it's in a relationship, it has the good news has to be put in proper context. It's not good news if you don't go to the meeting, right? You got wonderful news. Jesus died for you. Well, why are we going to that? Right? You need to know you're we don't like talking about that, right? But people have to understand the context of what's going on. But in this context, in 1 John, he's talking about people claiming since they know God, they're no longer sinners. Like they had obtained sinless perfection. Or they were sinless because their sin didn't matter. And it was no longer really sin. Now these people didn't know God at all, John says. But John makes it clear. We who know God know that we still sin. You will not achieve the finality of your salvation saved, and one day in heaven we will be saved in finality and will no longer experience the presence of sin in our life. But between here and there, there is a war going on, and at times, we sin. And if you think you don't sin, or that since you are a believer in Christ, your sin isn't a big deal, then you need to speak for yourself. You aren't fooling God. You aren't fooling your friends. You're fooling you. Process, you call God a liar, he says, because God says you still sin. God says you still need Jesus. God says you still need grace. It's foolishness. It's, it's this silly deception, absurd lack of awareness to think either that we don't sin or that somehow because we know God, our sin doesn't matter as much. That is all the more foolish. It's like when I'm playing hide and seek with my kids, especially when they're even smaller and uh, they're getting better at it now, right? They're hard to hide from. And they're getting really hide there. But in the early stages, you know, it's like they're in the middle of a room somewhere. Like, squat it down, you know. But you, their eyes are closed, so you can't see them, right? It's like foolishness. It's like, I know things you don't know, right? And, like, this is not working very well. And that's what it's like to walk before God. And act like he doesn't see our sin, like we don't have sin. We're only fooling ourselves. We may think we're fooling God. We may think we're fooling others. You're not fooling your husband. You're not fooling your wife. You're not fooling your kids. You're not fooling your mom and daddy. You're not fooling your pastor. You're not fooling your church. And you sure are not fooling God. We sin. And our sin's a big, stinking deal. It's no small matter. And Christians know we're sinners. Christians know we're sinners. Christians know we still need grace. And Christians have a habit, a habitual habit, of confessing and forsaking sin, not denying sin. If we confess our sin, we know He, God, is faithful and just to forgive sin. Forgive us. Believers know our sin's a big deal. We don't hide it. We admit it. We deal with it. We confess it. We know, as the great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, when we deal seriously with our sin, God will deal gently with us. So we deal seriously with it. We make war on it. And be sure, if you deal gently with your sin, God's going to deal seriously with you. Because God will deal seriously with sin. Either we can deal with it, or it can be dealt with in judgment. Now, believers have a holy awareness. It's like the antenna, the spiritual antenna has went up. It keeps us dependent on Christ and aware of our need for His grace. We know we fail. We know we're weak. We don't want to. We don't want to sin. We know we do. We know we do. We know we do. And it drives us to Jesus over and over again. Let me ask you, are you 
spiritually aware of your sin. You see your sin as a big deal. You seek to deny your sin, to hide your sin, to protect your sin, to defend your sin, or to confess it so you can. Or if you have practice in hypocrites, we will be able to do that. We admit our sin. Number two, number three, believe us, turn from your sin. Well, we submit, we acknowledge it. Turn from our sin. Look at 1 John verses 5, chapter 1, verses 5 and 7. He talks about the light and the darkness. We say we have fellowship with him in verse 6. While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. John says God's character is that of truth and purity. He is light. It's not one of deception, sin, and death. There is no darkness in God. If you claim to know him, to know God, to walk with God, to love God, to be appointed me a fellowship with God while walking in darkness, you are a liar, John says. That's tough words coming from. Right? Right? He said it, not me. If you claim to know God, but your nature doesn't show that it has been rad- that He's radically changing your life, that your nature's been changed by the one whose nature is without sin, then you lie. You do not practice the truth. You don't put to practice what you say you believe. Not practicing the truth means you do not live in accordance with God and His will, His word. You don't practice what you say. Now later in 1 John, he deals more specifically with sin in general. Darkness here is a broad term that I believe includes sin. Sin is an effect of remaining in darkness. But in chapter 3, it's specific. So look over at 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 4 through 10. It's on the screen for you. John writes, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, that's Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy no one born of God makes a practice of sin. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So John says if someone practices, that word means does, it means commits. We'll talk a little bit more about it in a minute. Commit sin. If you make a willful, rebellious habit towards continual sin, you practice lawlessness, he says. And that word, lawlessness, according to scholars who are way smarter than me, is likely tied to the idea of living in rebellion to God's moral truth and is tied to the work of the devil, the lawless one. You'll see it used in other places. Refer to like the Antichrist and satanic influence. That Satan is the original lawless one. And he makes the connection all down here, right? You're of your father, the devil. You're never more like the devil. We are never more like the devil than when we practice sin. Jesus came, he says, why? To take away sin. To take away sin. It makes no sense. The one who knows him and who abides in him and loves him and walks with him would practice what he came to take away and that is not present in him. No one who knows the sinless Jesus keeps on sinning like there's no tomorrow. He says, if you keep on sinning, you don't know him. Now, what's he saying? 
I mean, what's he really saying? Because he just said, we sin, all right? I just spent 10 minutes explaining to you how believers confess and continue to confess that we sin. And here he says, you don't keep on sinning. What do you mean, John? He's saying, if you claim to be in a relationship with God, but your relationship with sin hasn't changed, you're lying. He says, if we claim to love God, but instead love sin, if we claim to walk with God, but instead continually, habitually walk in sin, we lie. Notice the abide language, very similar to John 15 that we studied a few weeks ago. If we remain or abide in Him, if we abide in Him, we don't keep on sinning. In fact, if we do, it says, you're the death. Now, why is that? Now, remember, chapter 1, God's nature is light, purity, truth. Can't walk in the darkness, claim to be in the light. Here he says, the devil's nature is very different than God's nature. It is darkness, it's sin. And so, you got one or two spiritual fathers. And he says, Lined up over here with darkness, don't claim to be lined up over here with light because at the end of the day, your nature tells the tale. Sinners sin because they're sinners. People re rebellious, nature people rebel because they're rebellious. It's coming from the heart. The nature hasn't been changed. And it all comes down to do you have a new nature? Do you have a new nature? When someone turns from because we're, we're all born with a sin nature. We're all born broken. We're all born sinful. We're all born in desperate need of God's grace. Now, we might express that deadness and that sinfulness in various degrees. But Dan's dead. Do you have a new nature, a new view of sin, a new view of God, and a new desires in your heart? When someone turns from sin and believes the gospel, there may be the Holy Spirit changes your heart. And you go from loving sin to hating sin. From running from God to running to God. Everything changes on the inside and that begins to work its way out. Now, notice John says, if you've been born of God, that's conversion, that's salvation, the new birth that Jesus spoke of in John 3. They don't practice sin. He says you don't practice sin because God's seed abides in them. And so they can't. So at the new birth, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life and begins a good work and plants the seed of the gospel in your heart and you just, you can't, you just, you just can't continue habitually, willfully, rebelliously turning against God if that seed's planted there and the Holy Spirit's there. You say, well, I know a guy. I don't care who you know. I'm telling you, John tells you under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, it can't happen. We cannot willfully, habitually, continually, wantonly live in sin and rebellion against God and claim because we were eight, we prayed something, that that meant something. We're deceived. We're deceived in those situations. And it wouldn't be loving of any pastor to tell you otherwise. John goes on to say in chapter 5, verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him. There you're talking about Jesus. Jesus protects us. And the evil one does not touch him. What do you think it means to be in the hand of Jesus? What do you think it means to be in the hand of the Father in John chapter 10? We seem to think it means we can just run as far as we want, headlong into sin, and we can never get away. No, it means He will not let you. <laughs> he protects you. He will pull you back every single time. and pull you back towards Him, back to repentance, back to resting in Him. So what does it mean to practice sin? As the ESV translates it, some translations say commit sin. What does it mean? Best we can tell, it's the idea of a 
persistent, habitual, willful, rebellious practice of sin. It's a lifestyle. It's a bent and direction of your life. Much like the devil himself, this person turns their back on God and his truth and lives how they want to live. They disregard God's word and do what they want to do. They seek to rule their own life rather than have God rule it. They're not okay with Jesus being Lord. They wouldn't necessarily tell you that. You say, it's not about your words here. We're talking about how you live. Words aside. Everyone's life is bending towards something. Everyone's. Everyone's life is bending in a direction. And it's either towards God or away from God. You take a plant, you plant, you stick it over in a window where the sunlight is. What happens to that plant over time? It bends towards the light. Why does the plant do that? Because it's alive. And it needs the sun. It has to have the sun. It bends towards the light. You know what kind of plant doesn't do that? Dead ones. (laughs) Dry, dead plants with no life. Every true believer bends towards God. God shapes us and moves, the Spirit moves us towards Christ's likeness. It's a painful process sometimes, but if we're rather instead bent towards rebellion and away from Christ's lordship and away from God's moral standards and away from holiness, then there is reason to question the legitimacy of your profession. If there's no bent towards God, towards Christ's likeness, you may just be spiritually dead as we all are without Jesus. The church is full of people who claim to know God, who want to go to heaven, who are willing to go to church, who are willing to have God in their life as sort of a welcome guest, who live however they want to and have no desire for God to actually tell them how to live their life. They take sin lightly, like it's no big deal. As long as they don't hurt themselves or hurt anyone else, they just stay out of my business. They ignore God's standard on sexual purity, on integrity. They're happy to get hammered on the weekend, roll out of bed with someone that's not their spouse, and go to church like it's normal. Like it's normal. To the believer, it's not normal. To the believer, sin is evil. And there's an awareness that we, when we sin, we do sin. And there's a desire to get out of it. Sin is not a friend to the believer, it is a foe. It's not something to shrug off. It is something to kill. All believers, listen to me, all believers battle sin. All believers struggle with sin. All believers fail at sin. But all believers will war against sin. This is the person that I'm describing is surrendered to sin. It's the bent of their life. There's no real struggle, no real war. They don't war against their sin. They coddle it. They excuse it. They protect it. They say things like, nobody's perfect. It's not like that. It's not what you think. You don't understand my situation. It's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. It's not as bad as fill in the blank. Not as bad as what whoever fill in the blank does. God loves me. He wants me to be happy. These are things a sin cobbler says, not something a sin killer says. Genuine believers in Jesus live in a tension. We still sin, but we hate it. We don't love it. 
We sin, but we don't practice sin. We don't callously, wholeheartedly pursue and practice sin. Listen, this means more than you feel bad when you do wrong. I've said this several times. Feeling bad when you do wrong doesn't make you a Christian. It merely proves you're not a psychopath. <laughs> We're grateful for that. It means you have a conscience. Your conscience is not the Holy Spirit. It's a testimony to the fact that you're made in the image of God, but not that you're born of God. You should feel bad when you do wrong. But the converted make war on their sin. They rebel against sin rather than God. They seek to bring their lives in line with God's word. Now you may ask, how long can a believer live in rebellion against God before they have to wonder if they're not really a believer? So I think we all agree believers sin. Sometimes they sin big. Sometimes they sin for a while. He doesn't tell us. There's no graph. There's no pie chart. You're not going to find it in your concordance in the back of the maps. All we know is believers repent. Believers hate sin, and at some point believers will rid themselves of that sin. Whether you are a believer who has wandered and wonders if you're really saved or not, because it's gotten that bad, or you're a false believer who is now beginning to realize that you don't have genuine faith, and you've deceived yourself into thinking you're saved, and now you realize you're not, the answer to both people is really the same. Repent and believe the gospel. When I sin, I repent and believe the gospel. I do it continually. I confess my sin to the Lord and I turn from it and I take hope in the fact that Jesus died for my sin and my sins are taken away by Him. Believer, you've been given a new nature and you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and God is at work in your life and you aren't perfect but you are growing and maturing and repenting so you need to take heart of that. That, that, that As you see God shedding the sin, you look back over your life and you say, you know, I used to do this but now I don't. And I used to want to do this but now I want to do this. And you begin to see a progression of change in your life. That's the mark of the Holy Spirit. But if sin is not your enemy, if you'd rather protect your sin than kill your sin, if you are pursuing sin instead of pursuing Christ, if you have somehow made peace in your mind between Jesus and your sin, then as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, you need to test yourself. See if you're in faith. Examine yourself. Don't you know that Christ is in you unless you felt test? First John is a great way for us to test ourselves. Believers are aware of their sin. Believers don't make any lifestyle of sin. Believers don't wholeheartedly rebel against God like the devil. They don't seek to pursue sin. They, they, they trust Jesus to take their sin away. That's number three. Believers trust Jesus to take away their sin. In verse 7 of chapter 1, he says, The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses all those who are in the light, cleanses us from all sin. Down in verse 9, he says, We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. How did he cleanse us from all unrighteousness? He told you in verse 7, the blood of Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 5, you know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Notice both in chapter 1 and 3, he's reminding the believers of Jesus and his cross. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. It's on the gr- that grounds that we can be forgiven and God can be just. Remember he says, God is faithful to forgive and just to forgive. That can only be true because of the cross. Because our sins have been punished in Christ. It's Jesus who appeared to take away sin and in him there is no sin. He says in chapter 3. So 
believers know we still have sin. We have been made right with God through Christ's death on our behalf. We cling to Jesus and trust Him to take our sin away in God's sight and we are made clean in the eyes of God, clothed with righteousness of Christ. That is positionally what happens in, for lack of a better way to say it, the heavenly places. God looks at the believer and He says, man, they still sin, but positionally, I see the righteousness of Christ. The blood of Jesus has washed your sin away. And believers want to stay in close fellowship with God and with His people. So we confess, we agree with God. That's what that word means in 1 John. Agree with God about our sin. It doesn't just mean acknowledge you did. It means you begin to see sin like God sees it. In verse 9 of chapter 1, as we confess our sin, what happens? He's faithful and just. Forgive us. And what you're seeing here over is this picture of those who are trusting Christ to take our sin away. Confessing, forsaking. It tells us in chapter 3, two reasons Jesus came. We read them earlier. Take away our sin, the first one. His blood cleanses us, takes our sin away, and makes us clean. And he points out in that passage when he says, He came to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Why does he point that out? Because it takes clean to make clean. It took a sinless one to make you sinless. You don't wash your clothes in dirty water. You don't bathe in dirty water. It takes clean to make clean. And it took the sinless Son of God's sacrifice for us to be able to make us clean. Believers know this. Believers cling to this. But also, He takes sin out of our life progressively as the Spirit works to purify us. He goes on to say that Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. That was the other reason that Jesus came. John chapter. We know the devil's work had to do with sin, leading others into sin, right? That's where it all began. And Jesus came to destroy the work of Satan, to destroy sin, the consequences of it. Jesus is the ultimate sin killer. And all of his children joined him in the fight. Believers don't cling to sin, they cling to Jesus. We don't just trust Jesus at conversion, we continue to trust him. We don't just confess at conversion, we are continually confessing and agreeing with God about our sin and rooting sin out of our life. Our call... Before, but I recall Cannon asking a while back, my five-year-old, if Jesus takes our sin away, what happens when we sin again? That's the tension the believer lives in. We live in the tension of our sin is gone, yet I sin, yet my sin is departing, and yet my sin will be gone. And we mourn, and we rest, and we rejoice. We mourn our sin, we rest in Christ, we rejoice in His forgiveness, and we make our own sin over and over and over and over again. But the blood of Christ tells us that God takes our sin very seriously. That's how He takes sin away. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. How did Jesus come to, how does He take sin away? He came to take sin away. He died on the cross for sin. And the cross is a testimony to us, and the believer knows this, that God takes our sin very seriously, so we take our sin very seriously. But it's also a testimony to us that God loves us very much. We're so loved that Christ shed his blood for us. In fact, we're so loved that the Father sent his Son for us. And when experiential knowledge of that kind of love fills your heart, you can't help but be changed. Positionally, remember, moment in time, God looks at you and says you're clean. Your sin's gone. 
But as that love takes root in your heart progressively, you'll begin to see sin taken away from your life. I heard it said a long time ago, believers are not sinless, but they should sin less. It's always true. But over the pattern of our life, that should be the situation. I'm asking you to zoom in a moment in time in your life this morning. At any moment in time, in any believer's life in this room, at some point you look lost. <laughs> or you've been saved like a day, right? At some point, you look like someone that wasn't making the wisest godliest decision. What's the pattern in your life? That's what John's talking about. Do you cling to Christ and take your sin away? Is he progressively doing so? And believers don't trust ourselves to take our sin away. We know he came to take it away. We know Blood had to be shed. His blood. We know we must confess that we must go to God with our sin. We can't in our own power make up for it. Remove it. Listen, if you're trying to tip the scales to make up for the bad with enough good, hoping in the end you do more right than wrong, if that's your hope today, you don't get the gospel. The gospel isn't about tipping the scales. Doing enough righteous deeds to make up for all the bad deeds. The gospel is a testimony to the fact that you are not righteous and there's not enough right things you can do to tip the scales. And so we don't go and over here is our unrighteous deeds and over here is our righteous deeds and we try to overflow it and all this kind of stuff so that we can tip the scales and get righteous and all this sort of stuff. Jesus' righteousness has been set on the scales and demolished the scales. And the believer knows that, hopes in that. And out of that positional righteousness, we call it, that positional being made clean, there's also a change of heart that says, what is true in heaven, I want to see true in my life. I, I know I'm right with God, and I want my life to look like I'm right with God. I know I'm righteous in His eyes, I want to do righteous things. I know I'm sinless in His eyes, I want to not sin. That's all we're talking about. There's a, there's a connection there between trying to make what's true in heaven true on earth. So let me ask you this. What is your relationship with sin? Do you deny it? Or admit it? Confess it? Say it? Do you love it? Practice it? Or hate it? Turn from it? Are you trying to remove your own sin? Or do you trust Jesus to take your sin away? You need Jesus to take your sin away this morning. And believer, in this season of your life today, do you have sin that needs to be dealt with? Because we all do. That promise in 1 John is for the believer. If we confess our sin, that means at some point, and sometimes, we need to be confessing our sin and forsaking our sin. Are you hiding sin, believer? Your friends, your church, your spouse may not know, but God knows. We can all today, who are in Christ, can rejoice in Christ to take our sin away. We can thank Him for the gift of repentance as we continue to walk in it. And at the same time, we all need to take heed lest we fall because we do sin. And Jesus is our only hope. Are you clinging to that? And is He transforming?